All right, I'm going to encourage you guys to open back up to uh, Matthew 16, 24 through 28, and uh, I really like that song, Old Rugged Cross. I think it really speaks to something that we've forgotten in our culture today. We see crosses everywhere. We see them in, you know, scary movies. There's something to throw at demons. There's something that people get tattoos of. I mean, I'm wearing one right now under this shirt, but we kind of forget what it meant to Jesus. In the first century, crucifixion wasn't something that we looked at as a symbol of victory. Crucifixion was a means of execution for the most shameful of criminals. It was not something that people glorified in. It was not something that people were glad to see. It was torturous. They took nine-inch nails, drove them through his hands and feet. You died not from just the pain, but you slowly stayed there until you suffocated because you couldn't pull yourself up anymore. It's not something that we see today as the way we see it a victory. And so when I look at this verse in Matthew 16, and Jesus is telling his disciples before he's even crucified, he's telling them they're going to have to pick that up and carry it each and every day. That just kind of feels like something that a lot of people would have edited out of the Bible if it wasn't true, right? We have so many so many churches today that preach some kind of prosperity or some kind of easy life in Christ, and there is joy and there is hope in that life, don't get me wrong, but we definitely have to realize that there are trials that we go through as Christians. And so when Christ tells us to pick up our cross so that we can gain our soul instead of lose it, I think that's something that should perk our ears a little bit. It definitely would have pulled the attention of those in the first century. And so to begin to understand what Christ is telling us when he tells us to bear our cross, we have to understand what Christ's cross meant. All right, so we see back in Ezekiel 22.30, God is complaining to the nation of Israel that there is no man to stand in the gap. There is nobody between him and man. There's nobody who can bring a claim, speak for mankind, because we know that all the way back in Genesis 8-6, the intentions of man's heart is wicked from the beginning of his youth. There is no intermediary step. And we see it in Job, Job 9:33. Job is complaining that there's no mediator between him and God. So we see both sides complaining that there is no one in between. There is nothing between the destitute sinfulness of man and the glory of God. There's no bridge between them. Romans 3.23, Paul tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all gone astray. Right? So there has to be some kind of recompense there for us to look at a symbol of torture and execution for criminals in the first century as a piece of victory. There has to be some kind of mediation Right? That's, what, that's what the Old Testament continually calls for. And so that's what we see when Christ comes. Christ somehow has to beat both the destitute sinfulness of man and the glory of God at the same time. He has to understand both perfect righteousness and being completely separated from God. And so when he goes to the cross, that's what we see. In Isaiah 53, um, 11 and 12, we're told that he is bruised for our transgressions. He's crushed for our sins, right? Before he goes to that cross, 
he's judged in the courts of the Israelites, and he's judged in the courts of the Romans. Both the religious people, both the world, they, they turn from him. They claim that he is sinful. Yet Isaiah again tells us in that chapter 53 that it's not his sinfulness that he bears, it's our sinfulness. Paul tells us that he becomes sin for us so that he can bridge that gap between man and God. And then what we see after Christ is crucified is a symbol of victory on that, that third day, that Sunday morning, that Easter morning. The stone is rolled away, and it's not the apostles that go and find him, right? Which is always something that, that people, people have pointed out. And, you know, you'd think if anyone was going to do it, it'd probably be Peter, James, you know, somebody that's named in the Bible repeatedly that has a book named after him. But no, it's, it's Mary. It's Mary Magdalene, the woman he forgave. It's his mother. They go and find that Christ is no longer in the grave. They find that he is risen. And when they run and they tell them, they tell the apostles, and eventually Christ shows up and comes to them, and he tells them, you know, I'm here for just a little bit longer. And that's a very confusing statement if you really think about it, right? Christ is just going to be with them a little bit longer, then he's going to send the Spirit. And so after we asc- he ascends, what we see is the Holy Spirit comes he indwells us. The veil is torn between man and God, and we are able to be indwelt with his Holy Spirit. We're able to do things that please God because Christ has come and saved us on that cross. He has stretched out a hand to both man and God, and it was nailed there in that place, and forever he will be mediating between the two. And that's what we see in 2 Timothy 2, 5, that Christ is our mediator. He is constantly mediating between man and God. So if Christ is doing that through his cross, then it starts to give us a picture of what it means for us to take up our cross. It's not just dealing with the things of you know, the world. It's also dealing with the things of God. And this is how God chose to relate to us. He chose to relate to us through this way. <clears throat> and not only that, he told us that we're going to have to relate to the world through this way. So we need to constantly be looking back at Christ's cross, and we need to constantly be seeing how his mediation not only affects us, but affects the world around us. And so if then God chose to relate to us through the cross, and that's how he chose to bring down salvation, and we don't deserve that salvation, and there's nothing we can do to warrant that salvation, then we have to ask, what is our cross? What are we bearing each and every day? What are we taking into the world that really allows us to, to say that we are following him, that we're denying ourselves, right? How are we holding on to our soul and not exchanging it for something? So this is, a, this is obviously something that each and every one of us that have turned to Christ have gone through, right? There's a moment where you recognize your sinfulness, right? And before you're, we, we see it all the time in the world with people who are unsaved, the depression and anxiety going throughout the world, that we know that there's something not right, right? In Isaiah 6, 5, you see Isaiah before the, the, the Lord God when he's, he's called to be a prophet. And he says, woe is me, I am unmade because I am a man of unclean lips, 
from a people of unclean lips, right? This is Isaiah before God. You know, this is somebody who has a, a book of the Bible named after him. You think he would be rejoicing, he'd be exalted. He'd have this wonderful moment where everything is made right because he's in the presence of God, but it's not. It's not made right until they take the coal, which is topos to symbolize the blood of Christ and cleanse them with it. All right, so we have that moment where we recognize our sins. We see it in uh, Genesis 4.9. Um, Cain, after he's killed Abel, cries out, you know, my iniquity is more than I can bear. And so we have to realize that there is a moment where we realize our dependence on God because God is the sustainer of all things. He is the creator of life. He works through all things through Christ. He brings everything to a good end, which is something that we definitely need to remember in a time when there's so much decision and, you know, the political landscape, let it be what it'll be. The pandemic landscape, let it be what it'll be. And just keep our eyes on that old rugged cross. And I think that we have to realize that we're going to be rejected by the world for preaching that, you know, people are necessarily not good enough on their own. And I think that each and every one of us should realize that we're we, we aren't good enough on our own. I mean, I've never gone through life at a time where I thought that I could handle the entire world, right? There's, there's more out there than you. And that's what we see at the end of Job, right? Job brings a complaint against God, and God doesn't show up and answer the complaint necessarily. He shows up and says, okay, it's time for you to stand up, and I have questions, right? We have to understand that God is bigger than us, we have to understand that we are not enough in ourselves to warrant salvation, to bring about any kind of need for God to reach down for us, but he does it anyways, right? And so if Christ is reaching out to the world and God with his cross, then we have to also be reaching out to the world and God with our cross. We have to realize that there's going to be that rejection each and every day that we're also going to have to be crucifying our sinful selves. Um, Paul tells us to crucify the flesh, right? And again, these aren't moments that are going to just immediately happen, right? It took Christ a while to die on the cross. It's going to take a while to kill out our flesh, to, to really get to the point that we can walk in obedience to God. And that's something that should encourage each and every one of us as we move forward throughout this, throughout this uh, pilgrimage into the, into the next life, that when we are rejected, when, when we are absolutely abandoned, it feels like, that Christ has already come down and bridged that gap on the cross. And so as we move forward, we have to move forward in the recognition that we are not enough and that we are in need of God However, Christ does tell us that he will come back, right? He says, you know, in verse 27, that the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So we're not saved by those works, obviously. We're saved only by Christ, but isn't it kind of reassuring the, to know that what you do is going to have some kind of end, that as you bear this cross, it's not all for naught. It's not that you bear this cross for 60 years and then you lay it down and that's it, everybody gets the same 
You know, Christ is going to come back and tell you if you did good or not. And this doesn't necessarily mean, you know, every time you, you reach out to somebody, that's your cross. There's so many things in this world where we have to pick up responsibility and act in a godly way, whether it's, you know, your parents get, getting too old to do things for themselves and, you know, really working through that to, to bring Christ to them and to act in the way that Christ did. It's servitude to those who don't necessarily look at you as though you are worth much. It's, it's working a job that you hate because you know that you have to take care of your family and doing it in the right way. It's, it's all of those things where we look at the world and we have to take responsibility for those things. And it's how we take responsibility. Paul tells us we are to do all things as though we're doing them for Christ. Right? Each and everything that we do here, right? the Lord or the, uh, the heart of man defies us many, many ways, but the Lord directs our steps. So we have to know that as we bear this cross, that Christ has set forth works for us that we are to walk in, that we are to go through him, that he has defies that plan. And we have to have the faith that it requires to walk in those works and to continually move through and move towards God. Right? And that's going to require rejection. It is. You're going to work. You're going to end up in places and in times where people are going to disagree with you, not just on a superficial level, but on a point where they don't want to be around you anymore, where they, they just reject you. And that's hard to deal with, right? Because each and every one of us want to be liked. I mean, nobody around here just likes being hated. So I think that that's something that, that you need to remember is Christ has already done that, right? Christ has already been rejected, even though no one had a reason to. He was not rejected for his own sinfulness. Sorry, microphone. He was not rejected for himself, right? He was rejected for us. And so if Christ could bear our rejection, then why can't we bear our own rejection? Right? This is, these are the things that we have to look forward to as we, as we move through, and we have to really understand what it means to gain our soul. Right? So throughout the, uh, in Galatians 5.26, we're given this giant list, right? Everybody likes to use it. It looks good on a shirt of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, joy, peace, love, hope, tenderness, kindness. There's a couple more. Um, those are the things that people like to focus on. The Jeremiah 31, 34, for the Lord, uh, the Lord says that he will prosper you and not, not to hurt you, right? That those are his plans. And that's true, right? It is true that God's plan is to, is to uh, prosper us. It's true that it is for us to grow, but it's not necessarily true that that means our friend group is going to grow. It's not necessarily true that that means our wealth is going to grow or how we feel about life is going to somehow magically become amazing. It's true in the way that spiritually we're going to grow. Spiritually, he does plan to prosper us. Right? We're made alive again spiritually in Christ. Right? And in Ezekiel 18, we're told that God doesn't want anyone to perish. 1832 that he wants everyone to turn to him. So if God wants everyone to turn to him and he's worked himself through, he's shown salvation in Christ's cross, then if we're going to walk in obedience to him and we're going to try to fulfill his will, 
then we need to be acting in that same way, bringing his message to the people of the world. We need to be doing the same that Christ did. That's the point of being a Christian, right? It literally means Christ-like. That's what it's supposed to mean. And so, as we look at what our cross is, our own destitute sinfulness, as we look at all of those things, we have to start to ask how we bear our cross. Right. So, it's a pretty good question. Ezekiel 18.32, I'm going to turn right back to it, tells us to turn to God. It's God's will that none should, none should perish. So if we're going to walk in our, on his will, then we need to turn to him. Right. And we see in the Old Testament that obedience created salvation. We see that it also created the opposite. Um, Paul tells us in Romans that through one man, death entered the world. Right? And everyone likes to focus on that. But we also see that through one man, Noah, life, life was saved because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He, you know, through the ark, God provided the ark, God made the animals come. It was all God, but God worked through one man there and brought salvation. Then again, we see it with the Jews, right? Before they, uh, before they leave Egypt, God comes and he sends one man, Moses. And it never works the way they expect it to, right? Moses doesn't just immediately become the Moses we think of parting the Red Seas. He spends 40 years and out away from the Jews and then has to come back. We see it later on when we see David, one man, bring salvation to the Israelite army with the David and Goliath, when he slays Goliath with the sling. And then ultimately we do see it as Christ. Because each of those bring a small amount of salvation. Right? There's still death in the world after Noah and the ark land. The Jews still face trials in the wilderness. David still falls, even after he saves the armies. Israel still crushed, taken into the Babylonian captivity. So that's why when we rely for salvation, we can't rely on someone who is just man. Right? We have to rely on God. God tells us in Isaiah 44 that he alone is the Savior. In Deuteronomy 31, he says that he will provide an atonement. All the way back in Deuteronomy, when he's giving the law, he will provide an atonement. So as we bear our cross, we have to realize that we have to turn to God and trust in him for salvation. For it is the free gift of God that we are saved by grace through faith. But just turning to him, it feels wrong, right? There's, there's, there's a lot more to life than that one momentary turn. That's why in John 15, 5, Christ is speaking about the parable of the vine and the branches. Before that, he tells them that he is the vine and we are the branches. Right? Branches can't exist without a vine. Water has to go through the vine into the branches. They have to be supported. He tells them they can do nothing apart from him, so abide in him. Right? And this is, again, that speaking of obedience. We have to walk as he did. There's no way to please God outside of obedience to him. And that goes back to how the world started. Right? Genesis 1, in the beginning God. 
God created the world, the heavens and the earth, and through that, he has given each and everything a purpose. He works all things through Christ. And that allows us to know that what he tells us to do is the correct thing to do. It's a statement of authority, of purpose in the world that really speaks to the things that we should be doing. And one of the most important things he tells us to do is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations. Right? We're supposed to be spreading his word. We're supposed to be bearing our cross out to the world, facing that rejection. We're supposed to make disciples. Right? There's a big movement, or at least there was, of once you baptize somebody, they're good. Right? That's, that kind of seemed to be... Billy Graham's whole thing, you know, they'd go around and they would just focused on revivalists and baptism. But the Christian walk is more than just being baptized. It's more than just that one moment of crying out and need to God. It's discipleship, right? We have to work with each other to work through the, the hard times in our lives because this is how Christ has chosen to interact, right? He's chosen to come down as a man and save people. So we as human beings have to work with each other and through each other to make disciples, to bring each other further into God's word, to meet the needs of each other so that as we bear our crosses, it's lighter, right? Christ has a light yoke, and it's a lot lighter when everyone is helping you carry it. And then there's even more to that because it's not that we just carry it to the grave, right? We have hope. And this is what should really bring us through those hard times, as is the, the fellowship of each other and the hope of the future. Because again, Christ is coming back, right? That's what he says in 27. And when he tells us that, we see later on that those who follow him, who walk in obedience to him in Revelations 2.10, will receive the crown of life, right? There's more to the end than just the end. There's salvation, there's hope, there's love, there's living with God. There is life forever. Not as we see it now with divisiveness constantly, with pandemics about, with political parties tearing each other apart, with all of the things that really make the world the world. We will live with Christ we see it in Revelations 22, 5, and in 21, we're told that there's no more temple because God is with his people, right? We don't have to elect presidents when God lives with us, so we don't have to worry about any more of the, the madness that's been going on, whichever way you feel about it. Thankfully, God has made it very simple, and he, he laid it out all the way back in Genesis 4, 7. The Lord comes and speaks to Cain before Cain kills Abel, right? He comes and speaks to somebody that you don't really think he should if you, if you really think about it, right? God already knows Cain's going to go kill Abel. We know that, you know, through the line of Cain, so many terrible things happen throughout the world. Marriage becomes polygamy and murder enters and all of these terrible things happen. But God himself comes and tells Cain, why is your continence fallen? Why are you mad that your offer wasn't accepted? 
if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? God has laid it out right there. If you do what is right. And in the Micah 6, 8, he tells us, speaking through Micah, that the Lord has told you what is right, oh man. And it is simply to do rightly, to love justice, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. And so we see that all the way back there, that bearing our cross is walking in obedience to God. And so as I I go ahead and wrap up here today, I would encourage each and every one of you to look at your own life and see where are the points that you feel disobedient. And don't try to tackle those on your own. Use the fellowship. Speak to other people. Get discipled. We all have our problems. We all struggle. We are all still trapped in this body of death. But Christ is coming back, and we can all rest on that. And so we just need to turn to him, recognize the incredible bridge he has made between God and man, and abide in that.